one of the more iconic passages that you find in the gospel shows up in the gospel of Luke chapter 4. So as a matter of background, the Lord appears at the local synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which basically goes like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He sent me to bring good news to the poor and to proclaim release to the captives, and so on and so forth. And of course, the takeaway message is that Jesus Christ is not simply a good guy. He's not simply a good teacher. He's not simply a spiritual guru, to borrow the language of Bishop Robert Barron. He instead is the long-awaited Messiah and everything that implies. He is the one who has been sent by God the Father to bring about true healing and restoration, to wipe every tear from our eyes, to make all things new in the fullness of time. Which begs the obvious question, do we actually believe this? Well, in response to that particular question, again, do we truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and truly the Savior of the world? We need to look at our own kind of lived out faith experience. And I would suggest that if you look at that, again, our lived out faith experience, it would seem to be that the answer is, generally speaking, no. And we know this based on our own kind of personal lives, but also in terms of our own kind of liturgical practice. So the example that comes to mind, think about the weekend prayers of the faithful. So I don't know if you know this, but a lot of times parishes will buy books which contain various petitions which you can in turn use in the context of the weekend prayers of the faithful, right? And so sometimes, many times, what you'll find in the context of these books are petitions which, quite frankly, are kind of weird, you know, where we're basically praying to God the Father, some variation of Lord, uh, let us remember, for example, that uh, you have no hands except our hands, no feet except our feet. Or Lord, let us remember that, um, you know, God helps those basically who help themselves. And so even though we might acknowledge that these petitions are trying to suggest that we're meant to cooperate with God's grace, at the same time, they often give the very mistaken impression that God doesn't exist, or at the very least, he has no interest in actually helping us, such that everything basically rides on us. We're basically all alone to basically fight the good fight. But of course, in a certain sense, therein lies the central problem or the primary difficulty when it comes to the spiritual life, which basically amounts to a failure to trust God. This failure to trust that God the Father will provide for us in our time of need, which in turn feeds into this notion that we ultimately need to provide for ourselves and we need to be basically completely self-reliant. And of course, that's precisely what we find in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, right? So in the immediate aftermath of the creation narrative, what do we find? The story of our first parents, Adam and Eve, who fall, of course, into original sin. And what gives rise to original sin? Well, if we look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, basically what gives rise to original sin is, again, a failure to trust God the Father. A failure to trust that God will ultimately provide for me in my time of need. And of course, what does this lead to but a life built around clinging, having, controlling, and possessing? Basically, a life of dysfunction, which affects not just us, but the people around us. And so the example that comes to mind is this podcast called Restore the Glory with these two psychologists, Dr. Bob Schutz and Jay Kim. And specifically, this episode from that podcast called Healing and Leadership, which is basically the first episode in a series of episodes talking about precisely that, how if we don't heal or address our wounds of the past, it will have this undue effect on our exercise of leadership. Mindful of the fact that we're all called to be leaders, because of course, what is leadership at the end of the day, but influencing other people, giving witness in a certain sense to the Catholic faith. And it just so happens that one very specific example which struck me from that particular episode came from the life of Dr. Bob Schutz. And so basically what he was suggesting was that as a result of his father's infidelity to his mother back when Dr. Bob was basically a child, he developed a skewed notion of God the Father. And so he basically didn't trust that God would provide for him or come through in moments of difficulty. And he realized that that particular skewed image of God the Father was unduly affecting his future ministry as a therapist. 
And specifically, what he would notice is that in the context of therapy, oftentimes he would create this unreasonable expectation in the mind of his client, the person he was ministering to, to see him basically as their own personal savior, to see him basically as God, which he realized in retrospect wasn't good, either for him or obviously the person he was ministering to. Now, obviously, over time, Dr. Bob recognized that he had this particular difficulty, this unaddressed wound from his past. He recognized it and he dealt with it as a result of which he actually became a better therapist. And in particular, he noticed that eventually he got to the point where in the context of therapy, he could be fully present to people in their woundedness, fully present to them in their brokenness, while at the same time never giving into an undue sense of worry or concern. And more to the point, actively resisting the temptation to become this person's personal savior because he fully expected that God would walk into this messy and difficult and challenging situation and help this person in a way that he couldn't possibly do himself. Now at this point, you might be listening to this and thinking to yourself, well, that's all fine and good for Dr. Bob, but like, what about me? Like, what if I find after hearing that story that that's actually my problem, that I don't trust in the Lord and I want to trust him more because I realize the dysfunction which, which obtains my life because I haven't addressed that wound. Like, what's the solution for me going forward? Well, whenever I think about this particular topic, I always think about this really great advice my spiritual director gave to me back in the day when I was still studying to be a priest at St. Augustine Seminary. So basically what he would say to me is that if you want to grow in trust, the way to do it is to actually trust. And so again, if you want to grow in trust in God, what you actually have to do is trust in God. Now, in the face of it, that might sound to be entirely non-helpful and sort of a frustrating haiku. So let me kind of illustrate the point by giving you a personal example. And so back in the day, when I was still signed to be a priest at St. Augustine Seminary in Scarborough, Ontario, I was about to go on my internship year. And so for those of you who don't know, the internship year basically shows up in the middle of seminary formation. It's a year which is held in a parish setting, and it's generally held to be sort of the make or break year. And so the conventional wisdom from the perspective of the seminary community is that if you finish your internship year and you're still not sure whether or not you want to continue to become a Catholic priest, well, then that's a really major issue, right? Because again, the internship year is generally held to be the make or break year. Anyways, I obviously knew all this leading up to my own internship year, and I have to admit that I was really pessimistic as to whether or not that year would go well for me. So much so that I remember thinking to myself, I, I can't imagine any circumstance where I will continue on in a seminary following the internship year. So uh, yeah, I had really major apprehensions as to whether or not this year would actually go well for me. Now, fortunately, I spoke to my spiritual director just before I started my internship year, and he gave me some really amazing advice, which I continue to hold close to my heart even to this day. So basically what he said to me was some variation of this. I hear what you're saying. I hear everything that you're saying, and I, I know why you think this year might not go well for you. That said, I invite you to, at the same time, approach this year with a sense of a joyful expectation, a sense of joyful expectation. In other words, he was basically saying to me that quite apart from the thoughts in your head, quite apart from the feelings in your heart, you got to firmly trust and believe, you got to hope beyond hope that God will not simply get you through this challenging situation, but instead he will make the situation amazing and beautiful and incredible. And I got to admit that he was totally right, right? He was totally and completely right. The internship year ended up becoming one of the best years of my entire life. And obviously, I stand before you today as an ordained minister in Christ's Holy Catholic Church. And so again, a sense of joyful expectation. Now, clearly that, that prayer worked for me, and I'm obviously encouraging each one of you to incorporate a variation of that same prayer of trust and abandonment in your own life. Hopefully that goes without saying. That said, I want to be clear now about the nature of that particular prayer. 
And so just to be clear, I wasn't saying to God, well, look, give me the strength to save myself or give me the wisdom to understand how you might help me to move forward in this situation. What I was saying to him was like, look, you got to save me in a way which is completely beyond my ability and completely beyond my understanding. In other words, give me the strength and the courage and the faith to really trust and believe that truly, Lord, you are God, you are Father, and truly you are the Messiah and Savior of this world. And may God bless you all.